Man, I don't know who's been louder this morning, me or my grandson. We're both causing all kinds of problems today. I want to welcome everyone that's here this morning. Uh, we want to welcome those of you who are visiting with us today, those of you who are guests. We're so glad you're here. We hope that you'll come back and see us again. And if you have any questions about what you've seen or heard, minus what you heard me shout out just a few minutes ago, you're uh, welcome to ask. We would love to encourage you in the Lord in whatever way that we can. Also, for those of you who are joining us online, we're glad that you're a part of our worship today as well. And uh, our regular members that are here, it's always good to see you. If you're just coming in on our series right now, we're in a series It's all about the heart of God. And really what we're doing in this series is we're talking about things that are really important to God. And so in lesson number one, we talked about how God has a heart for all mankind. So much so that He sent His one and only Son to die for our sins so that no one has to be lost, so that anyone and everyone can come to Him and be saved. Then last week in our second lesson, we talked about how God has a heart for our home. And I'm not talking about the physical structure. I'm talking about our families. God really wants our families to be blessed. And He tells us how they can be blessed and how through our families we can be a blessing to the world. But today we're going to jump into our next lesson. Uh, but before we do that, I, I do want to share with you a story maybe you've heard before. There was a ship ship captain who was out with his crew, and they came across this island, and, and they thought that it looked deserted. And so the captain, he gathered a crew, the crew together, and he, you know, kind of separated off everyone into boarding boats, and so they started heading toward this island, and as they, as they began to approach, there was a guy who came out and was flagging them down from the shore. Well, when they got on shore, of course, the captain had several questions. First of all, he wanted to know how the guy got on that island. And the guy said, well, he said, I was out on a ship as well. There was a terrible storm. Our boat broke apart. He said, I was fortunate enough to grab some wood. And after several days, I just drifted onto this island. And the captain said, well, is there anyone else on this island with you? And the guy said, no. He said, it's just me. And the captain said, well, then why do I see three huts? And the guy said, oh. He said, well, this hut over here is my home. It's, it's where I live. And he said, and this hut over here is where I worship. It's where I go to church. And the captain said, well, what's the third hut for? And he goes, oh. He goes, that's where I used to go to church. Now, some of y'all get that a little later. Yeah, bomb just kind of went off in, in your mind. And, you, you know, we kind of chuckle at that. We kind of look at that as being kind of a funny story. But here's the deal. Division is ne never funny to Jesus. In fact, if you look at John chapter 17, Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross. He's getting ready to die. And think about this. If you were getting ready to die, what would be on your mind? Probably your death. But Jesus had something else that was on His heart 
in his mind, something that was concerning to him, something that was really important to him. And so he took it to his father, his heavenly father, in prayer. And so let's look at that prayer. John 17, starting in verse 20, he says, My prayer is not for them alone. He says, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be what, church? May be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me that they may be what, church? One. One as we are one. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete white church unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Do you see what was on the heart of Jesus in that moment? I mean, here he is, he's getting ready to go to the cross, but what's on his heart, what's on his mind is unity. And some of you may be thinking, well, Slate, what's the big deal about unity? I mean, why is Jesus so concerned about this? Well, because Jesus Jesus knew that oftentimes those who claim to to love Him has a hard time loving others, right? Sometimes as Christians, we're better at leaving than we are loving. And some of you say, well, Slate, I mean, I I see what you're saying here, but but still, why is this such a big deal? I mean, it's going to happen. There are people who are always going to have their differences. They're not going to see eye to eye. There's always going to be people who are going to up and leave. And so why is this so important? Well, Jesus tells us here in His prayer, when there is a lack of unity... The world has a hard time seeing God's love. Right? I mean, think about that. I mean, one of the things that we have to understand is that as Christians, we represent here on earth our Heavenly Father. Right? I mean... Paul refers to us as ambassadors. And and what do ambassadors do? They go to a foreign country and they represent their homeland. Well, the Bible says, listen, this world is not our home. And so we are here representing our true home, representing our king. And so as Christians, if we can't get along, if we're arguing and we're fighting and there's no love being shown, then guess what? We are misrepresenting. Representing God. Because we are a reflection of Him. We we bear His image. And the outside world can't see God's love. Leslie B. Flynn, in his book entitled Great Church Fights, tells about a church in Wells that was looking for a new minister that broke out in a feud in the newspaper. That's what's so sad about this. The newspaper gave this report. Yesterday, the two opposition groups both sent ministers to the pulpit. Both groups spoke at the same time, each trying to shout above each other. Each group called for hymns, and the congregation sang too, each side trying to drown the other out. Then the groups began shouting at each other. Bibles were raised in anger. The Sunday morning service turned into a bedlam. Through it all, the two preachers continued to 
to try and outshout each other with their sermons. Eventually, a deacon called a policeman. The policeman advised the congregation to return to their homes. The rivals filed out, still arguing. The following night, one of the groups called a Let's Be Friends meeting, and it also broke up in an argument. Now, here's the question. When people read about this in the newspaper, when people see this kind of stuff on the news, when people watch a video of this type of stuff on YouTube, and believe you me, it's out there. But when the world sees this type of stuff happening among God's family, do you really believe that they're thinking about the love of God and how much they want to be a part of a family like that? Absolutely not. And Many times God's people can be tempted to act like that. In fact, our study, when study shows that more than 19,000 congregations experience major conflict every year. 25% of the churches in the survey reported conflict that was serious enough to have a lasting impact on the congregational life. But here's what was really interesting to me. Only 2% of the church conflict involved biblical issues. Which kind of reminds me of the church at Corinth. Paul writes this letter to the church at Corinth, and starting in verse 10, this is what he says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters. And, and brothers and sisters there, that, that's really important because you're going to see that type of wording throughout this letter. And what Paul is trying to get across is the spirit that the church is to have toward each other. We're, we're family, Right? And so he says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another so that there may be no what? Said out loud. Divisions among you, and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. And so notice what Paul is doing here. He's pleading for the church at Corinth to be united. Because here's the problem. There were four divisions. The church was split apart. And he talks about these four divisions starting in verse 12. He says, one group says, I follow who? I follow Paul. Most of you have heard of Paul. And so in this group, basically what you would have had, the majority of, was probably Gentile converts. Those who were Gentiles, those who didn't grow up Jewish, they, they didn't know anything about the Jewish traditions and the Jewish culture and the Jewish rituals. And so now that they had come to Christ, those things that they were being introduced to, well, that wasn't a part of their heritage. That wasn't something that they were used to. And so you have one group who says, I follow Paul. You had another group who says, I follow Apollos. And, and Apollos was supposed to be this intellectual type. He was a very gifted speaker. And, and so you can imagine that those who were in that group were very intellectual themselves. And so they said, we follow Apollos. And then there was another group who says, we follow Cephas. We follow... and. Cephas is another name for Peter. How many of you have heard of Peter? Okay, and, and this would have been mainly made up of Jewish people. Those who had come to Christ. But even though they had come to Christ, 
they still wanted to practice their traditions and their rituals, and they wanted that to be brought into the church, and, and they wanted everyone to practice those same things as well. And then still there was another group who said, I follow Christ. Four divisions within the church. And Paul wants them all to come together and be united. And the question is, how is he going to make that happen? Well, notice, notice what Paul doesn't do. Notice Paul doesn't try to get them to think alike on all these issues. Instead, he tries to bring them together under the cross of Jesus Christ. He helps them to see this one great thing, the grace that they had received in Jesus, and that should be enough to bring us together. I'll never forget several years ago, I used to go to several different lectureships, but there was this one lectureship, and every year you had these two uh, very biblical intellectual scholars that would speak and, and at times debate. And, and one of the things that these two godly, very biblical men could not agree on was the Holy Spirit. I mean, something as important as the Holy Spirit. And, and these two brothers could not see eye to eye on this. But here's the thing I don't want you to forget. They never stopped loving each other. And they never disregarded each other as brothers. In fact, they both highly esteemed each other. It's fine if we have different preferences. It's fine if we have different opinions, traditions. It's fine if we're not on the same economic level. We can still be united because of the grace that we have found in Christ Jesus. In fact, write this down this morning. Unity begins with a focus on Jesus. Look at verse 13 now. Notice what Paul says. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? In other words, here's, here's the point that Paul is trying to make. Look, it's not about me. It's not about Apollos. It's not about Peter. We didn't save you. And so why are you making this about us? Why are you dividing over us? Jesus is the one who has saved you for all eternity. And since you have this one great thing in common, then really do all these other things matter? And that's what the church should look like. A group of people who may not have a lot in common, but they have everything in common because of what they have received in Jesus Christ. And so Paul doesn't try and get them to see everything alike, but rather he tries to get them to focus on what they have in common. In fact, go to chapter 2 now. 1 Corinthians 2, verses 1 through 5, he says, When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human authority as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except what, church? Except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. 
I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Notice what Paul is saying here. He says, look, anything that you have found impressive about me, it has nothing to do with me. But rather Jesus. And so he says, so that your faith might not rest on what church? Human wisdom. But on God's power. So notice what Paul does. He takes the spotlight off of himself and he puts it where it needs to be, which is Jesus. Now, some of you have heard me say this before, but we need to hear it again. Unity in the church is much different than unity in a country club. You know, when you, when you look at a country club, the people there typically tend to all get along, right? Because they have a similar lifestyle. They make a, a similar amount of money. Um, they have similar interests. And so because of all these similarities, because of all these things that they have in common, they are unified. But that's not the case within the church. The church is made up of people who are very, very different. In fact, I would say that the church is made up of people who have no natural or obvious reason to even associate with each other, but we are drawn together because of Jesus. I haven't done this experiment in, in, in a little while, but uh, I want to do it this morning just to show my, my point. But I want you to think about right now, what's your favorite type of music? Okay, and raise your hand if your favorite type of music is classical music. Okay, we've got a few. Raise your hand if your favorite type of music is country music. Oh, I feel for you people. <laughs> raise your hand if your favorite type of music is heavy metal. I <laughs> got one in the back. Thank you, Jason. <laughs> Raise your hand if your favorite type of music is rap. Oh, I thought we'd have, okay, got a few back here, all right. Raise your hand if your favorite type of music is gospel. Okay. Notice how different we are as far as our music is concerned. Let, let's think about food. For a second, what's your favorite type of food? How many of you would say your favorite type of food is sushi? That makes me want to throw up. <laughs> okay, got several. Or, or we can do it like this. How, how many of you would say maybe it's not sushi, but how many of you would say Chinese food? Okay, I like Chinese food too. Wouldn't necessarily say it's my favorite. How many of you would say your favorite type of, type of food is Italian food? Okay. How many of you would say your favorite type of food is seafood? All right. How many of you would say your favorite type of food is country food? I'm talking about fried chicken, mashed potatoes. Yeah. All right. Got, got several of those. But here's the point. Look around at how different we are. But watch this. How many of you, raise your hand if you love Jesus. You see the point? 
It's okay to have different preferences of dress, different styles of music, different types of food. It's okay if we even cheer for different sports teams because this is the way the church is supposed to be where people come together who are different. Under the cross of Christ, we have unity. And man, that speaks volumes to the world when we get that right. When even though we are so different, we are united in Jesus Christ. Now, I do want to point this out. There, there are some things about the, the congregation at Corinth that really Paul doesn't deal with. Right? Apparently, as we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, this is not a biblical issue. Right? Had it been a biblical issue, Paul would have dealt with it. He, he deals with stuff like that throughout the New Testament. For example, on Wednesday night, we just finished up a series on the book of Colossians. And, and there's this point where Paul addresses the church at Colossae because they were worshiping angels. And he says, look, don't worship the angels. Worship the one who is worthy of our worship, which is Jesus. And so if it's a biblical issue, if that's what they would have been dividing over, he would have dealt with it. If it had been uh, an, immor you know, an, uh, an Im uh, immoral issue, Paul would have dealt with it. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, we see some immoral behavior taking place in the church. And Paul doesn't say, hey, just pretend like it's, it's not happening and, and just be unified together. No, he deals with the problem and he even tells the church how to deal with that immoral behavior that was taking place. And so this wasn't a biblical issue, a moral issue, but rather it was a matter of preference, opinion. Tradition, and that tends to be the most divisive issues in the church today. In fact, there was a study done on more than 400 congregations to, to find out what are the most divisive issues today. Here's the top four. Number one, songs. Some like the old songs, some like the new songs. Number two, the use of finances. Number three, decorations for the facilities. Number four, proper worship attire. People arguing over what people should wear to worship. And then as you keep going down the, the list, it was like, how long should the preacher's beard be? And it's like, are you kidding me? This is what we divide the body of Christ over? Most of these things aren't even mentioned in the Bible. You see, matters of opinion, matters of preference, tradition, these things can become very divisive. And let me tell you something, we cannot allow Satan to deceive us like that. Here's something else Jesus understood. When we lack unity, we totally miss the mission, right? I don't know how many of you have been in the military, but I think even if you you know, haven't been in the military or aren't in the military, you would, you would understand this. If you have an army that is against itself, right? If your army is fighting with one another, then you cannot 
win the battle against the enemy. No army can afford to turn on themselves. And let me tell you something, the same is true with the church. We can't afford to, to turn on each other. Listen, there is a very real enemy out there, and he is picking people off every day spiritually. And so we have to strive for unity. We've got to work together, or this is what Jesus says, Luke eleven seventeen. Every kingdom that is divided against itself will be what, church? Be destroyed. And a family, and, and think about this, I know he's talking about our individual families, but think about this as a church family. A family that is divided against itself will not what? Will not continue. How many of us have seen church families that have divided, they've split, and those, those church families have, have no longer stayed open. They, they no longer continue. And that can happen. And so how do we prevent that from happening as we close out this morning? First of all, we've got to be humble. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 Verses 5 through 7, here's what Paul goes on to say. For when one says, I follow, Apo I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, are you not mere men? What after all is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only what, church? Say it out loud. Servants. I mean, you're talking about two guys that are very godly men. I mean, Paul writes the majority of the New Testament. Apollo is just a scholar, right? And, and this powerful, great teacher. And yet, Paul says, look, as far as we're concerned, we're just servants. Through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task, I planted the seed. Apollos watered it, but who, church? God made it grow, so neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. And so notice what Paul does here. He models for the church at Corinth the spirit required for there to be unity. He models the spirit of humility. Because he says, look, I'm not anything. Apollos isn't anything. It's, it's God. God is the one who gives the increase. God is the one who gives the growth. We're, we're just servants. Listen, if we have division in anything, church, family, friendship, business, at the heart of it is a spirit of pride. In fact, write this down. It's pride that ultimately destroys Unity. Think about what pride does. It makes, me it makes me selfish. Pride says I deserve to get what I want. It puts my wants ahead of others. Pride makes me argumentative. Proverbs 13 verse 10. Solomon writes, pride leads to arguments. Pride makes me opinionated. It makes me think that my way is the best way. It makes me think that things should be done a certain way, my way, and everyone should conform to my way. Pride makes me defensive. If someone disagrees with me, even on insignificant issues, pride takes it personally. And pride also makes me prejudiced and judgmental. And what I mean by prejudice is 
oftentimes our pride can cause us to look down on others. Paul deals with this in Romans 14, verses 1 through 3. He says, accept other believers who are weak in faith. And don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. For instance, one person believes it's all right to eat anything, but another believer with a sensitive conscience will only eat vegetables. Those who feel free to eat anything must not, what church? Look down on those who don't. He continues, verses 3 through 4. And those who don't eat certain foods must not condemn those who do, for God has accepted them. Who are you to what, church? Condemn, the Greek word there is krino, condemn someone else's servant. Their own master will judge whether they stand or fall. And with the Lord's help, they will stand and receive His approval. And so you skip to verse 10, and this is, this is a conclusion. He says, so why do you, what church, condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? Remember, we all have to stand before the judgment seat of God. And so notice, as, as Christians... We're called to have a humble spirit. We're not to look down on others. We're not to, to condemn others. The condemning, you know what? Here's the good news. That was left to Jesus. He's the judge. He says, one day I'll come back. I'll handle that. You be who you need to be. Be a light and share that light with the rest of the world. But you don't condemn. Also, it takes a joyful spirit. I'm almost out of time. The Bible talks a lot about joy and laughter. We talked about this last week, Proverbs chapter 17, verse 22, where it says, A joyful heart or a merry heart does good like medicine. And we talked about how it's good for us, but our joy spills over to other people. But as a church family, we should have joy. And in fact... They did a study on churches that were growing and were healthy. And here's what they discovered. They were churches that laughed together. They were churches that were full of joy. And, and Peter talks about why we have joy. 1 Peter 1.8, he says, You love Him, that's Jesus, even though you've never seen Him. Though you do not see Him now, you trust Him and you rejoice. You have joy with a glorious inexpressible joy. In other words, because of what Jesus did for you and me, we should be some of the happiest people on the face of the earth. Amen? And, and that should, man, that should be obvious when we come together as Christians, but, but that should spill over into other people as we go off into the world. We should be people who laugh together and, and enjoy being with one another. And then lastly, we must serve others. John chapter 13, Jesus is in the upper room. And the disciples are bickering among one another over who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. And at first, Jesus doesn't say anything. He grabs a basin of water and a towel, and he gets on his knees, and he washes their dirty feet. And then he says this, verses 14 through 15, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. I really believe one of the best ways to maintain 
unity in the church is to get people doing what Jesus called us to do, and that is serving. In fact, I close out with these two scriptures. Paul addresses idleness in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 11 through 12. Now, he's talking about physical labor here, but I think we can look at this in a similar sense when it comes to spiritual work, spiritual service as well. He says, yet we hear that some of you are living idle lives. You're not doing anything. Refusing to work and Notice the result, and meddling in other people's business. We command such people and urge them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and get to work. He says to some of the young widows in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 13, he encourages them to remarry because he says, some of you, you're getting in the habit of being idle. Not doing anything. You're going out from house to house. And he says you're being busybodies, talking about nonsense, saying things that you ought not to be saying. That's, that's what comes from idleness. And I think oftentimes that's what can happen in the church when people aren't busy serving, doing. Then you know what? We'll find something else to get into. And that creates problems. And that hurts the Lord's church, and it can divide the Lord's church, and it makes for a, te a terrible testimony for the rest of the world. Love, patience, forgiving each other's faults, working through things, because like a family, there are going to be times when there are going to be those edgy moments where we're having a problem with someone else or they're having a problem with us and, and we work through them, we're, we're family. And that's what God wants for His kingdom. Let's pray. God, we just thank You so much for being an amazing God. We thank You for Your church. And Father, we just pray that You'll help us to be everything that You want us to be. Help us to set our minds on things that are really important. And help us to have the same heart that you have for all these things, Father, that not only bless our lives, but truly are a blessing to the world. And so, Father, we just pray that you'll be with us. Be with us as a church family. Help us not to let Satan ever deceive us or tear us apart, but to be a witness to the rest of the world of your love, your saving grace. We just pray this prayer in the power of Jesus' name. Amen. Today we extend the invitation. If there's anyone here today who needs prayers for anything, we'd love to pray for you. If it's more of a personal matter, you can put it up on our cross. Our elders will take those down and pray over those things. Today, if you have never given your life to Jesus, you've never put on Christ in baptism, having all your sins completely washed away, Acts chapter 22, verse 16, we'd love to tell you more about that. And we'd love to tell you how Jesus can save you from sin, how he can take away anything and everything that you've ever done. And so this morning, if you want to respond, you can come as together we stand and sing.